Hello everyone and welcome back to the book club. Today we are joined by author Barbara Andright. Barbara has just published her second book in the Sisters of Sarah series, The Scout and the Scoundrel. Welcome Barbara. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Let's start with just talking a little bit about the Sisters of Sarah series. Where did the inspiration for the book come from and how did you decide on the three unique personalities of the sisters? I wanted to do a series for a long time that um, where each book was more standalone, um, where I had an overarching plot, but it was kind of in the background and I focused a lot more on the characters. And uh, I decided on sisters because I, th- I wanted that family dynamic where you both love your family and sometimes want to strangle them. Um, so the, and the, the personalities for them, I just kind of decided early on what I wanted them to go through and then how I thought that might shape them. So you said you wanted a series which, when each book could be read at a, as a standalone, why was it important to you? I, I think because I haven't done that yet. I've written a couple series where it really is just, you know, one book picks up right after the other. And if you come in in the middle, you're going to be completely lost. And I, I guess that could happen this time, especially with the, the background plot with the war and everything. But I I think I was like, I, I really wanted to, to focus on these characters, like, you know, two characters per book. And I, I want to just keep the focus on them rather than uh, including a bunch of other people in their stories. I actually read book two before book one and I had no trouble following book two. So I think that, that oh, strategy good. really worked. In writing The Scout and The Scoundrel, how long did it take you to write the book and what did anything major change between when you started and to work, you know, with the final edit? I always say it takes me about six to nine months, but it usually ends up being longer than that because I either think I've got more time than I have, um, or like you were saying, I change everything. So I I changed a lot about it as I went. I had some different plot points, what I wanted to do, where I wanted these people to be. Uh, initially, it was a lot more stuff happens in a city and, I, and, and it wound up being almost everything out in the wilderness. So that's, I usually just sort of write whatever's in my head and then I just go and go and go. Uh, of course, at the end, this means I have to edit a lot. So uh, yeah, I, I edited it down quite a bit from, from what it used to be. I have kind of a specific question. In the book, sometimes you refer to the Golden Glove um, character as the Vox and other time as Vox. Is there a reason behind that? Probably because I got tired of typing D. Uh, I don't know. It's probably it's probably some kind of um, really silly thing like that. Uh, I wanted it to, to, to be the, the Vox. I kind of designed that character to be a little bit self-centered. Um, and almost I could hear them saying in my head, you know, you got to say the whole thing. You know, you have to say the. Um, so I, I if I if I drop the the. It was usually because it was uh, a character who wasn't as familiar with them, maybe, as, as Zara was for it. So where did the inspiration for Vox come from? That's a very a very unique touch, and I really enjoyed that. Oh, good. I'm glad you liked it. It's a fun character to write. Um, I wanted a, a friend for Zara, a companion for her. 
And since most people annoy her, I, I thought, uh, I want someone she can really bond with. And that turned out to be just someone who, you know, can only talk to really her. She could share her thoughts with it, but also it takes on a little bit of her personality when, when she bonds with it, uh, with them rather. And, um, I thought, yeah, that's really her only friend, uh, you know, besides her sisters, I guess, in the book. And I, and I thought, you know, who would this character really take to almost immediately? And, uh, and that's kind of how the box developed. So Zara, as, as a person, she loves structure and logic. And then you have Roni, who's like very, you know, cheeky and bold and doesn't like to take orders. So was one character more difficult to write than the other? Did they both come naturally to you? Or did you have to think more about how you put one down, how you develop one more than the other? Um, Ronnie was definitely easier to write. Uh, she is more like me, I think. Um, Zara was a little harder because I did not want her to be unlikable. Um, yet I wanted to stay true to the character that I had in mind. Um, so she was a little harder to write just because I never wanted to seem like I was laughing at her or the audience was laughing at her more that, that just, you could go with her on this, this journey she's taking where she learns more about herself and about everyone else. Uh, so yeah, it was definitely harder to, to keep her, her voice in mind. In the case of the character of Zara, I had some kind of vibe with her. Is she on the uh, kind of equivalent of the autism spectrum? Was that your angle or is she just aloof? Uh, a lot of people have asked me this if I if I did that deliberately. Um, I, I must say I didn't have the, the words uh, autism in mind when I wrote her. I just... I wanted to write a character that I guess I don't see a lot in fiction that's also sympathetic and not just somebody who is like, okay, you know, there's a person who thinks differently and then there's a person who's kind of a jerk. And I was like, I never really wanted her to be a jerk as someone who doesn't care about other people's feelings. She cares about other people's feelings. It's just she's sometimes a little unaware of one, what they are, and then two, how to deal with them. So she's never mean like i think sometimes uh writers can make characters seem a little mean and uh, it's like so i guess that's i i didn't have i didn't have that in mind but a lot of people have said that and so if anybody can see themselves in this character and think oh that's that's much more true to life than anything i've seen then then i'm i'm beyond happy with that i have a slightly random question about walks um, and I don't know if I missed this in the first book, but Vox is made of metal, right? And mm -hmm. do we ever find out what metal? Are? Just I'm asking just because metal tends to rust. Vox is out in the forest. Mm -hmm. Is there is how do, does Zara doesn't seem to really need to take care of Vox in any way? So is that just because of the magic? We find out a little bit more about the the history of. Uh, what the Vox is and uh, if there are any others like it in the world in the in the third book. But I just wanted it to be more like it's something ancient in that these the whoever made it had a had access to better technology for one and then uh, a different sort of magic than than the people that are used to. So they're like from an ancient civilization that fell 
Um, so I always pictured it as being partly magic and then partly like different metal alloys that the, the people in the book just have never even heard of. And so are we going to see characters like walks in future books? Yes, there's a major one in book three. Um, and then you find out more because uh, book three is from Giselle's perspective. She's the mage. And she knows, um, one, what the Vox is just upon seeing it. She knows what it is. And then she knows um, about it uh, and, and things like it. Uh, she's, she's studied histories of uh, inventions like this one. So um, they, they may not come off as fully realized characters because I wanted the Vox to be unique because it's, it's achieved sentience. And that's something that things like it don't usually have. But yeah, they'll find out a whole lot more about it in the third book. So are, are Zara and Giselle going to work with each other without like, killing each other? <laughs> they, they work with each other for a little bit in, in book three. But um, uh, and uh, when they have to go off and have their... When Giselle has to have her own adventures, she, uh, she actually ends up uh, going with uh, Roni, who has the Vox with her. And she's very, very jealous of this. She really wants to study it and talk to it, and talk to them and talk to, um, find out more about them. And this just kills her when Zara doesn't want her to, to wear the glove, to bond with it, to talk to it, to anything. Are all of the sister identifying as somewhere on the queer spectrum? Um, all of my books seem to have people who are just like, meh. You know, there's somewhere they're, they're, uh, they date, um, they have preferences, but they'll date anybody. So, yeah, I would say that largely all of my characters are either bisexual or pansexual because it just seems like I don't I don't like to limit them. So it's like um, I could see uh, Adela or Zara dating exclusively women, but I could see Giselle dating whomever. Um, but but yeah, it seems like everybody in my books falls somewhere. Uh, in the spectrum there. So if the sisters took you for a date, where do you think each one would take you? Oh, Lord. Um, Adela would take you to a high-class restaurant. That's it. If she was really trying to woo somebody. Um, Zara, poor Zara, wouldn't have any idea. I feel like, I feel like Zara would be the most, her gestures would be the most heartfelt but that she would just like show up at your door with something like instead of flowers, it would be like a pineapple or something because she would be like, I know you like pineapple. So this is a guaranteed win, but you'd be like, it's a little strange, but very endearing. Um, but as to where she would take you, if it was her idea, it's definitely somewhere where she's comfortable. So uh, probably like a, a park or something like this with fewer people, but uh, nice scenery. And Giselle, I think, would take somebody to like a nightclub or something really loud um, where there's there's dancing and food and a lot of stuff going on. That sounds like fun. <laughs> do mm -hmm. you ha would you do you have a preference? Which one would you choose? Oh Lord! <laughs> uh, if I had to choose for somebody for the whole books, it would be um, uh, Sarah Nunez, the the woman who runs the 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 donkey, the donkey's rest, the bar. Um, I would date. Sarah Nunez in a heartbeat. Your military structure, um, is it based on a specific military branch somewhere in the world or did you just make rank and structure that fit your own world? 
is very, very loosely on the probably the U.S. Army because I looked into different ranks, different militaries in the world, and there are so many. And it seems like even if you're you're like you know a second lieutenant, half something or other, and it's like the so I just really cut it in half and and cut everything down and was like okay, there's like five ranks. And even then, I wanted Zara to be kind of apart from that. So she's really, I guess, what in the U.S. Army would be a specialist. And I was just like, yeah, okay. So the leader of a scouting group is called a commander, and that's it. Um, and then just sort of hand-wavy about it. Uh, mostly so that if people tell me, well, you know, well, technically, she'd be a blah. And I can say, ha-ha, I made up my own thing, and she's what I say she is. That's a good <laughs> point. <laughs> But was this in any way different to write? Did you have to do a bit more research to write this book? I had to do research more on the the environmental factors because usually when I have, I've, I, I when I most of my books have taken place in some sort of urban setting more than in the middle of nowhere. Though I have done in the middle of nowhere before, but I really wanted like the the cold and the forest itself to be a factor, and then the terrain. Um, so. I, I really had to, to, to fight to keep all of that in mind and to think, okay, what might the ground look like, you know, when you're heading up uh, up a slope toward a, a cliff, you know, by a river. And it was like, fortunately for me, that's uh, it's often very rocky terrain. It's um, full of little holes and caves and things. Because I was like, great, that'll be wonderful for, you know, tension and who's where and uh, getting everybody separated and bringing them back together. So that was really the, the only researchy things I had to do, especially for this one, for, were for terrain and climate. Do you have a favorite scene from the book? Uh, yes. Um, I don't want to spoil anything, but it's it's towards the end when the characters, when uh, Ronnie and Zara have really gotten to know each other and they're having heartfelt conversations, which is really the only conversation that Zara will have. Um, where they they admit their feelings to each other those those I, I would think that one was my favorite and that one was the most fun to write do you need something in specific to write um music or a specific setting or a specific band tell, tell us about your writing process it's all over the map uh my writing process it's evolved over the years but it's still changing Um, I have my, my little my little writing nook here. Um, I, I do this because, I, I don't know, I know people's not going to be able to see me, but um, I have a, a bunch of bookshelves in my writing nook, and they've got uh, not only books uh, by other people that have inspired me, but little pretty things that I've collected over the years, or my dolls, or um, little journals. Uh, and I think having that around, just being able to, if I'm thinking, to be able to look around and be like, you know, oh, that's neat, that's cool. Um, or ooh sparkles and then jump back into it but I've been doing a lot of writing by hand uh, lately mostly making notes I always make copious amounts of notes uh, that's probably the thing that's the most important to me is being able to have a notebook right here um, and there are three that I'm pointing at right now on my desk in front of me that I can pick it up and write a note or jot something down or write a page number in or think oh hell I forgot to put this character in here where I meant them to be. So I'll make a note and put that character back in there or like, Ooh, shouldn't she's afraid of water. Let's put that in there. So I don't forget that later. 
so that was really it having a um, a pen or a pencil and and a journal nearby to make notes that's what i have to have i think to write does that mean you can write anywhere so you don't necessarily need to be in a like even if you're out and about and you had ideas would you always have your notebook with you always i always have my notebook at least one um <clears throat> and uh sometimes i'll have if i'm going to go write somewhere specifically like to a coffee shop i'll take my laptop of course but i usually have at least two or three notebooks because since i have so many i usually make notes somewhere and then i forget which one it's in so i'm like okay well let's just take all of them so my bag is very heavy uh but that's yeah i like writing other places i think sometimes that gives a person perspective um or can uh if you have writer's block can sort of you know push you along and be like oh here's the thing that i was missing you know especially writing outside uh when the weather's nice and getting to see you know people walk by or you know things happening like uh leaves blowing or something and you can suddenly think aha that is what i want i want them to be outside or i want them to be like that person or i should put a dog in here you know anything that you see that can just sort of jump start you do you feel any pressure to add romance to your books or does that come naturally to your writing it used to not come naturally at all and then uh in um in the early 2000s i wrote the pyramid waltz which is the first book that got published with bold strokes books um i i wanted the you know the princess and the courtier but i wanted them to both be women cuz i it, it's hard to find that or at least it was back then to to find something that uh that 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 had two women and then dealt with it real in a realistic way and that wasn't just kind of pornography and so then it was like well i have to have romance because if these characters are just kind of hanging out i'm going to die cuz i you know i would be saying kiss her through the whole thing um uh, which i do now sometimes when reading books or watching television so yeah i always want that element because i'm like okay i want uh, to explore a person's entire personality and i'm a big romantic so i think yeah i i tend to always put romance in it or i always will um just because i i want to to, to do a deep dive into every character's subconscious something that stayed with me was the monsterish character the, the the mage on the other side that felt like unresolved is it something that will be explored more in the third book or was it just for the second uh, no um that is a huge part of the third one in fact the the third book is called the mage and the monster and it is about Giselle and uh the mage uh Vale who makes a very brief appearance in the scout the scoundrel. Uh so yeah that is that is their story um when they meet and then we will definitely find out what happens to the mages and all of that that's happening uh out there. How do you envision the, the magic in your universe? So the way I see it is that it is from an outsider's perspective it's very hard to understand. because a bunch of what is happening to the mage is happening in their own head. Um so I get to explore that a whole lot more with Giselle um in the third book so that it's something they have a hard time explaining but it's more like the meditative trance almost they have to fall into and then sort of then they can um manipulate different areas of their world but I wanted it from an outsider looking in it looks like they're not doing anything except um paying the price for the magic which is is pain 
um, in mind. It's um, <laughs> something very dear to my heart, which is uh, joint pain. I, I have rheumatoid arthritis, so doing anything is hard for me. And that I, I wanted my mages then to have to pay for their for their very powerful magic by by having to be in pain. Um, so that's that's how I wanted it to seem. It's so from a from an outsider looking in, especially someone like Zara, it seems kind of dumb. Um, that someone would pay this extraordinary price uh, for, you know, brief things of magic where it looks like they're doesn't doing anything except going, you know, hey, that, now now this is happening. But I wanted it, I really wanted to explore that and I will in Giselle's book, which is where you're, you know, you see why somebody might pay this price that have, been, have being able to achieve this trance, being able to work these these magics, these wonders is really worth any price to someone who can do it. In your world, how does story development take place? So like, for example, for the Sisters of Saras, did you have all three, the outline of all three books planned? Do you know roughly where, where the books were going to go? I rarely start with anything at all, um, plot-wise or mapping out-wise. I have my notes that I make. I make extensive notes about uh, character, personality, what they might do, what they've done in their past. Um, and I, I like to do this so that I can think, okay, I can throw any situation at this character and I'll know how they'll react. Um, so plot-wise, really, I'm just like, I have my, my main conflict I want, something I want to happen toward the middle, and the ending. And even then, the ending often changes because I kind of, uh, I'm a what they call a pantser, I write by the seat of my pants. So that I'm just going. And like, so I'll just, I, I really, and then towards the end, I have to map out stuff a lot more carefully because I'm like all these moving parts. But no, if, uh, I didn't have any idea what would happen in book three while I was writing book one. And I barely had an idea what would happen in book one while I was writing book one. Um, so I really like to leave myself a lot of room, I say, which I think is the most uh, graceful way to say it rather than uh, I'm, I'm either too stubborn Oh, you know, to, to, to write everything down or just too eager to get to the book so that I don't I don't write much plot uh, stuff down. Does that lead you down some pathways where you have to then back off because it doesn't lead to it? Oh, definitely. Oh, all the time. You think I'd learned my lesson by now, but no, I have not. And I, I think of the plot as kind of like a river. And uh, sometimes instead of getting from one end to the other, I'll go down these little tributaries that lead absolutely nowhere. Uh, but luckily, and I tell all writers this, I keep all that stuff. So, you know, you, I go off to cut these four scenes or whatever, but I'll put them in a separate folder and keep them. And then if I'm wondering about ideas or just sort of looking to, to jumpstart my brain, a new project, I'll go and read these and I'll be like, okay, is there anything in here? um that 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 could be helpful and and if i especially if i've written a scene that i really really love and yet i have to cut then i'll think you know what this would be a good fit for this project do you go to writers uh, retreat i go to i have been to to some of them usually when i go to like a writing retreat i just go with friends um i have a lot of friends who are writers uh, austin is a great city for writing um I go to a lot of conferences, like writers' conferences, to meet other writers, to be a speaker, to up-and-coming writers, or just to, to, to be a speaker to fans. I do a lot of science fiction and fantasy conventions. Um, they're, they're always a, a whole lot of fun. I love passing on what I've learned uh, to different people, if it can be helpful to them at all. And so I've done 
presentations, I've done panels, I've done workshops. Uh, I'll pretty much, you know, anywhere that I can get to that's not going to cost me an arm and a leg, um, I'll go. <laughs> she said, uh, offering the, anybody to invite her to anything, especially if they put her up for the night. So just looking back to your earlier books, have you ever thought, have you ever looked at your earlier books and thought, oh, if I'd written this now, I would do something different? Or I want to write a sequel or a prequel to a particular book? Several times, um, especially as I as I learn more of the craft of writing, uh, that I think, okay, you know, I might want to change this or that. Or I would do that a lot differently. Or, you know, I made a reference to that and it's, I never was comfortable with it. So I'll just, I would take that out. Um, as for sequels and stuff, I always have ideas for another book in me. If especially if you give me the characters already done, like the characters from the the Sisters of Sarah series or Pyramid Waltz or any of them, I think, oh, I could write another book about that. Whatever I write next is 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 practical. A lot of times, and it's based on what book people seem to enjoy the most or which book sold the most. So. Uh, Oftentimes I'll have a lot of mine in sequels, but I'm like, okay, well, you know what? This book didn't really do really well. It didn't seem to resonate with people as well as this book. So maybe I'll write another one there. And um, I'm really kicking around the idea of writing a sequel right now to Coils, which is my like a fantasy romance comedy in the Greek underworld. And um, that one I seemed to, a lot of people seem to like. So I thought if I write like an indirect sequel rather than, uh, with taking the characters on a new adventure, whole new characters in the similar setting. That happens to me all the time. And people often ask, are you going to do a sequel to this one? And I'm like, well, convince all your friends to buy a copy. Uh, and then maybe I will. But don't you think that um, timing can be um, a factor in a, a book's success? I mean, so society is always changing and evolving. So a book that you wrote maybe like five or six years ago, that didn't do so well if they were released today or released jointly with the sequel would do way better now because the audience is now at that point? Definitely, um, especially if some sort of societal thing gained traction and I thought, hey, I've already written about this and then I tell more people about it. Um, if, it's, if it sells more at that time, then I definitely think about a sequel. Um, I think timing is most important in a series because you can't let too much time go between uh, books in a series or otherwise people will forget what the, what the heck is happening. Um, but for books that are just set in the same universe, I think the, the, every, the elements in the, of the book would definitely evolve you know, as the world is evolving, as the author is evolving. Um, but... As far as, as points that, that people really seem to like or get or didn't like or something, a lot of times that, that stays a little bit constant, at least in the, uh, in the lesbian fiction universe. Um, but I know if I definitely saw like, you know, oh, really, you know, we're, uh, is a society really interested in Vikings right now? And I'd be like, I have an old Viking book um, that I would, you know, then talk about but it's <laughs> it's very hard to just barge into places in the internet and be like oh i have a book about that um could it and not seem like you can do it now yes if you like lesbian vikings i wrote a book called thrall uh beyond golden glory a few years ago um that that you can find 
out there on any bookstore. But that's one of my favorites, um, just because it was it was really fun to write to, to to write lesbian Vikings and then to yell that at um, conventions if I'm selling books or I sell, I go to a lot of pride festivals if I'm selling books and I yell, hey, come get your lesbian Vikings. People usually take notice. Well. Lesbian Viking lovers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just called Thrall. Um, it's got a subtitle of the Beyond Golden Glory, but it's usually if you look up my name and Thrall, um, T H R A L L, you'll find it. Uh, those are those are my lesbian Vikings, and I would love to write more lesbian Viking stories, but said unfortunately, I think the the Viking fascination craze has passed a little bit. But if it ever comes back, boy, uh, I've got my, my Vikings ready to go. In terms of um, writing again, like beta readers and reviews, do you use beta readers or do you, do you read your reviews and how important are they to your writing process? Uh, I have beta readers. I have a writing group where we all exchange manuscripts uh, and then give each other our ideas or criticisms or uh, search each other's work for typos. Um, it's been extremely helpful to me and I, I highly recommend it, though I know some people can't can't do beta readers. Um, reviews, I try not to read them. Uh, it's really difficult, but I, I tell uh, especially new writers, don't read your reviews, but it, it's and then we do it anyway, especially if it's a, a, a something like Publishers Weekly or something writes a review. Well, you're going to read that. But I tell people to stay off Goodreads completely because I'm like, that's not for you as a writer. Those are for readers to talk to each other. Don't look at it. And then they go and look at it. And I break my own rule and go look at it. But I, I know I tend not to, to try not to read reviews because they very often have stuff that will help. I mean, it's it's a nice ego boost if somebody likes the book. But if somebody doesn't like a book, a lot of times it can be for, for whatever reason, right? Because it's very personal whether you like a book or not. And sometimes it's like, okay, fair. You know, they didn't like it for this reason. But more often it's like if they're like, oh, a book is too long, a book is too short. And it's like, that's not really helpful. Um, especially I loved one time one of my books had back-to-back -back reviews on Goodreads, one saying it was too long and one saying it was too short. And I was like, okay, that's really, that's not for me. So you use uh, better readers and uh, writer groups. Do you use sensitivity readers too? I do if I'm writing something that's very far outside of my experience. Then I will use a sensitivity reader. Often I can get away with not uh, having to use one, though, because I make up my own world. So what I say goes as to a person's experiences. So I think if, a, if an author is writing about a character in the real world and they're going for real world experiences, it, you have to talk to somebody who's had those experiences, especially from a, a, a character or a group of people who've been disenfranchised in any way or who've been... Um, targeted by bigoted people really really talking to people reading accounts and stuff i think that is so important uh in a fantasy world so if you can get rid of you can you can go a little further because you can say oh a character is unlike me in all of these ways but their experiences are what i say they are so i'm like okay you know well this character uh in the real world might have received this sort of treatment but in my world uh they're a hero or something Um, so I can go a little a little further in that way, but uh, I will definitely use one if uh, I'm in the real world in any way, and I think okay, I want this character to be in here. 
<clears throat> but I haven't had their experiences and I don't know what it's like to live this life. So then I'm like, okay, I have to have somebody read this. You're an author living in uh, Texas and pardon my ignorance, maybe because I'm from Canada, from Quebec. And how is it to write queer and differentiated fiction in a state that sometimes is more right wing and more discriminative than others place? Um, now you're on the money there. It's it can be very discriminatory. The the whole the whole state can. And on one side, I like it because I feel like I'm kind of giving the middle finger to that and saying I'm gonna do my thing. And this, you know, this isn't going away. I'm I'm very lucky in that the spaces where I share my writing and where I share my my love of of nerd culture and is, are more accepting. Um, than other spaces so that I don't often run into bigotry. I have before, and usually it's just, you know, people looking shocked, you know, as they read the back of the book and they're like, two women, ah! Uh, and then it's like, I'm, you know, if I'm just like, go away, and then they'll go away. But um, it is hard to not see my work very often here because uh, most of the bookstores you go to, if they have a section, For LGBT plus literature, it's it's usually teeny tiny and it's hidden um, way back by social studies um, and far from the, the fiction section. And it's like, ah, okay, and I can see why you did this so that people, one, can find it, which is nice. But then two, it's, it's definitely hidden. Um, and then a lot of bookstores, of course, just don't have that section here. So if you walk into them, you're like, where is this? And they're like, no, we don't we don't do that. So I've only seen my book in bookstores here usually in like uh, used bookstores. A lot of times they're pretty good for having um, any kind of section with any kind of queer fiction. But like Barnes and Noble or one of the big bookstores, I can't usually just walk in and see, there it is. Um, so that's difficult. But thankfully, um, my fans and supporters are wonderful people who send me pictures of bookstores in more welcoming places where there it is. There, there's my book on the shelf. That's always fun to see. So it is it's it's hard in that way. But I, I feel I feel like I, I'm, I'm not one of the reasons that I'm not going to stop writing is because I live here. And so that I can say, hey, you know, we exist here. Uh, you know, and, and, and then we're not going anywhere and there's nothing you can do to stop me. Ah. Uh, so I, I like saying that living here, but there are many, many times I think I'd like to live somewhere else. Thank you very much for your uh, answer. I got a, a lovely message one time from a woman who, uh, um, I don't want to say which country because I might get it wrong, but she lived in Eastern Europe. And uh, being gay was criminal there. And she got a like a bootleg copy of my book from somewhere. And uh, and I, I thought that's just wonderful. And she, she wanted to, to thank me for writing this because she said she doesn't often get to see this where she lives. And I thought that was just fantastic. And, uh, you know, I wanted her to be safe. Do whatever you have to do to be safe. But but I, I thought that was great. You're a trailblazer. Oh, thank just you. remind that. Keep that in mind. Can I ask, what's the best part for you for about being a writer? And what's the most frustrating part? I think the best feeling is hearing from readers. And uh, one, hearing that they, they see themselves in my book and they love that because they rarely see themselves in my book or in fiction at all. 
Uh, I love hearing that. And I love hearing that. I think the, the greatest compliment a writer can get is that you make real people feel real feelings about fake people. And I think that's that's wonderful if you can show somebody a different perspective and actually, you know, change how they feel about it. Um, one of the most frustrating things is when people m- misinterpret something I've written or draw a conclusion uh, based on no evidence and say, okay, you know, well, this book is blah. And then they tell a bunch of people and it's like, that's not true, even a little bit. You know, if you, if you research that even a little bit, I, I had somebody say one time, they were like, they, they didn't like my books because it was like, you know, all about teenagers having sex. And I was like, but what? You know, there's no, they said something about 15 year olds. And I'm like, I haven't written a book about somebody who's 15 one, you know, and then two, I wouldn't write explicit sex scenes with a 15 year old and I don't write explicit sex scenes. So it's just all these different things. And it was like, you know, are are these people like out to try and destroy you, like destroy your reputation or are they just, you know, misanthropes who hate everybody, you know, what's going on here. So that's very frustrating. And as an author, you can't always clap back at that. You know, sometimes you've just got to let it go. It's like, you know, you're not supposed to respond to reviews, so it's hard to say it to anything. But I think if somebody's got something factually incorrect, that you can say that's not true at all. You know, um, but then oftentimes if that person is just trying to troll you, then you're feeding into it by responding to them anyway. So I think that's the frustrating bit is uh, keeping myself from responding to things that are factually inaccurate, and then uh, and then keeping myself from making a hundred fake accounts so that I can finally reply to people who get stuff wrong. Now it's really up to if, if, a, if a, a fan or somebody cares enough to respond, then they can respond. But I guess I've told writers before, Goodreads is not for writers, it's for readers. So stay off of there because you'll find really, you can find really good reviews on there and really in, in-depth discussions. And then you can find people saying, I hate this book because it didn't star a 600 pound gorilla named Tanya. And, and they're like, what you know that doesn't have anything to do with anything but then it's like well you know what whatever whatever that's not for me stay out stay off of there if you could take any piece of art in the world whether a poem a book music a painting whatever and you could have created it which piece of art would it be oh lord uh that's a great question i think uh, a lot of times I wish I could design things like an architect does, uh, like a building architect, because there are so many wonderful looking buildings in the world, you know, from old medieval churches to really technological wonders now that are made of like glass and steel. Um, I mean, I always thought, what what must it be like to just look at a skyline or look at something and just see what building could go there just perfectly? Uh, and then and then come up with something um, wonderful like that. So it's just, or or even a, a a painter. You know, it's like the the Sistine Chapel. People think of it. You know, you just looked at a ceiling and was like, oh, I'll know what I'll paint here. Instead, of most people who are just like, oh, beige. To just see something like that and fill that space in your head, and just see it. And I I think that's just amazing. Uh, I've seen, um, like, you, you'll see lots of uh, old churches or uh, older, like, uh, 
big castles or something where everything on the ceiling is like intricately carved. And you're like, okay, did they just make that piece by piece and then put it up there? Or did somebody have to lay up there on some <laughs> scaffolding and carve that out? And, and it's just, it's just crazy to think about just the sheer time that they had to put into it. And then like, you had to be dedicated. I mean, you had to love ceilings to really take this on. It probably would have taken them their entire lifetime, right? To create those muscles. Yeah. Not, yeah. <laughs> we don't really Yeah, well, I guess if you were like, I'm going to do one thing. <laughs> I'm going to do one thing in life. So it's going to be great. Do you have any advice for new writers? Yes. I, I tell new writers, uh, do not edit as you write, as you go along. When you're writing your first draft, don't go back. Um, because if you go back, you'll edit and re-edit forever and you'll get caught in a loop. And you won't finish anything. So just finish it. Um, keep going, even if it's terrible. Allow yourself the space to write terrible things. Uh, just get to from the beginning to the end, because the, then you can go back and you can edit yourself. But as you're going, don't, because um, because otherwise you'll never finish anything. Could you tell us something about yourself that most people wouldn't expect? I think from from stuff like uh, panels I've done or conventions I've done that uh, people think I'm very uh, extroverted. Um, I talk a lot. I'll, I'll make little jokes and things and stuff. But I'm actually incredibly introverted. So I have a persona that I call um, Con Barbara, where she goes to conventions and things and does stuff. And while, while I just kind of sit in this head and watch. And uh, so oftentimes if I... Uh, we'll do a panel or something where I have to moderate. I have to talk a lot and I have to be really uh, on and attentive and I can't let my mind wander and, and all this stuff. Then I will go and sit by myself for at least half an hour. Uh, and at conventions, sometimes I've even done this in a bathroom stall where I just have to go and be like, okay, surrounded by four walls in my own space, breathe. And actually after I did, a uh, uh, presentation one time that, that turned out really well. It was really funny. Uh, everyone was very engaged. Everyone said how much they liked it. I actually had to go back to my hotel room and cry just because it was like so many emotions and now they come out and now we're done. And uh, and so so that that would be the, the people who know me really well know, know that about me. And I guess now everyone too. But uh, I think a lot of times people are very, very surprised when that happens, especially I think they would be if they found me in tears and I would have to tell them that I'm just processing this. Um, so, yeah, I think that would that's probably surprises a lot of people. So it's Con Barbara because it's Convention Barbara or Con yes. <laughs> A little bit of both. Uh, no, Convention Barbara, yes, but also Con Artist Barbara because that's not really the real me. <laughs> We're at the this or that section of this video. This or that. Art or sports? Art. Visual art or literary art? Uh, both. Salt or sugar? Uh, sugar. Vanilla or chocolate? Vanilla if I have to. Hot or cold? Cold. Spring or summer? Spring. Night or day? Night. Socks or blankets? Blankets? Restaurant, bar, or cafe? It's supposed to be quick, but it depends on what part of the world I'm in. I'm going to go with restaurant for right now. Cinema or theater? Probably just cinema. 
live convention or Zoom convention? I'm going to say live convention right now just because I haven't been to one in so long. <laughs> That's good. So that was our question. Thanks very much for joining us today, Barbara. It was great to chat to you. Oh, thank you for having me. Do you have any message for your readers? Yes. Um, thank you for supporting uh, your your favorite authors uh, or authors that uh, might not get support otherwise. And uh, just please uh, keep reading and keep talking about the books you love. Mm-hmm.